I'm Amanda Parks. Um, thank you so much for having me. I will love coming to Stockholm. I will always come invite me as many times as you want. Um, so today I'm going to talk about um, a lot of material innovation that's going on across kind of startups and laboratories. Um, I uh, Let me just sort of talk for a second about the snapshot of the sort of crux session of my life for the last seven years. I've been doing um, things, everything from working very closely with fashion tech startups um, and kind of coming in as a team member, as a CTO, to build up either their product or their strategy that crosses over fashion and tech, and also doing my own um, consulting work, um, everything from structural engineering for couture, that you can actually survive as that in New York, <laughs> um, to, to kind of working on uh, new laboratory products, also working with big companies, Intel, Google, et cetera. Um, so that's, you know, that's what you see uh, when Todd mentioned the, the crazy um, growing stuff on my desk. So that's, it's a sort of mixture of really helping out businesses and then also kind of trying to push the industry forward from a research perspective. So I consider myself a fashion scientist um, and kind of how I became that person, because it's sort of the number one question that I get asked, um, is a, a mixed background that really has focused on how do we interpret and intermix the digital and physical. So I did a PhD at the MIT Media Lab in tangible media, and really that involved doing everything from, you know, creating uh, modular robotic systems all the way up through doing large-scale public installations. And what all those things had in common was taking basically computation and manipulating physical media, something about the physical world, whether it be a display technology or a material. Um, and, so, and so this is kind of my approach to fashion. I'm sort of coming, it's coming to fashion from an interaction design uh, computational perspective. So let's be I guess, clear. <laughs> Why do people care about this space? It's like I said before, it's the fastest growing segment of the tech industry. Um, and so, and there's a lot of money for fashion um, brands to be able to kind of collaborate and work on and have new um, areas of revenue. It doesn't have to be all about selling more product, right? There can be innovation um, across different areas. Um, so, but this is what wearable tech looked like when I got to MIT. This is a way precursor of, of, um, of Google Glass. And I think that, you know, there has been a historic allergy of fashion to technology for good reason. This looks like a computer threw up on a vest, right? And, um, and so when, you, when, you, when you're sort of showing these kinds of things, there might be amazing technology involved and sort of demonstrating that you can do these things. You can't expect people whose entire lives are based around aesthetics to really appreciate what's going on. So there's been this natural kind of oil and water um, divide between the two areas. Um, so we have moved these kinds of products, you know, the stuff that I just showed, into more, uh, you know, refined cases. We've made them smaller. We've actually made them, you know, be, be able to be on the body. But one of the, and even kind of gotten things to the point where people kind of consider it an elegant design object as, you know, to be, um, to be negotiated, but I think that one of the things that really differentiates these kinds of products from the rest of fashion is what is their uh, um, primary function. And this is about quantifying the body. It's really about taking measurements, things that you can put into a chart, a graph, a spreadsheet, you can measure battery life. You know, the way that these products are actually defined and marketed is, is really, is, it's coming at it from a mathematical approach. And the difference in that from fashion is that fashion is really motivated by different things. In fashion, emotion is the killer app, 
right? This is, this is sort of what, how do you feel when you're wearing something? How can you sort of transform yourself? It's about personal expression, it's about identity, it's about desire. And none of these uh, wearable objects that have been designed are really kind of taking um, that philosophical approach and embodying that, kind, that level of, of the product. So that's, that's the first kind of divide in the space. The second thing is really talking about the, the language of fashion tech. And, and in this particular case, I'm talking about the material and the craft language. So what you see on the left is a, 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 a circuit from a company called MC10. It's a tiny circuit. It's a, it's a circuit sticker. It's stretchable. Um, and what's amazing about it, and I was, I was on a panel with uh, one of the engineers, and he's talking about the technology that allows it to be stretchable is that, that little uh, curvy line, right? And he's like, yeah, so when the, the circuit... The, the connection doesn't break because it pulls it apart. And I said, oh, so it works just like zigzag stitch does. You know, that's how you make uh, something, a stretchable garment. Uh, that's how you um, seam it. And he had no idea what I was talking about. And so he has a patent on basically zigzag stitch for electronics, right? And so we have to have these kinds of conversations where we are actually working more closely on the craft and the physical level than I think that either side is re realizing. So that's a language question. Um, I of often, you know, I really need to point out to people in the tech industry that textiles are a high form of technology and that the Jacker loom, you know, preceded the first computer. Basically this, you know, the, the Charles Babbage's an analytical engine came from the Jacker loom. So, so fashion and tech used to actually be very closely integrated <laughs> and they've sort of diverged and we're sort of trying to bring them back together. So I want to just start by talking a little bit about structure in the context of materials. And this is what I think is one of the best pieces of fashion tech on the market right now. It's a structural piece of fashion tech, but the Nike Flyknit, um, the machine that makes this is incredible and basically allows you to create you know, a zero waste shoe that has structural properties embedded into it from a computational perspective. And this is really a shift in thinking from a computational design perspective. Now, Francis is following me and he's sort of the world expert on this, so I'm not going to go into it. But to make a materials point, what you're looking at here is... Um, an amazing object and not great picture, but this is a cube that is a gradient of material. So one end is a black soft rubber, the other is a white hard plastic. But when you experience the object, it goes from hard to soft in a gradient in the same way that you would experience a color gradient. And so what's amazing about this, and this is a 3D printed object, and so what's amazing about this is we can start to think about structures as defined by um, their material properties as a, in a fluid way. So one product that, um, that I've been working on uh, that kind of embodies this and we're sort of moving towards this is Thesis Couture, which is a re-architecting of the stiletto, which I have here. And this is what's inside every existing stiletto on the market. It's actually quite criminal, I think. It's medieval technology. It's stamped steel. It has nothing to do with your body, how your feet work, the biomechanics, structural engineering, nothing. There's no innovation in this. So, we, so we're taking this on to kind of rec you know, recreate the shaft and replace it with this, which is uh, you know, polymer technology on the material side as well as structural engineering. So this is a team that, is, you know, the founder is former SpaceX exec. We have an astronaut, um, a mechanical engineer, a rocket scientist, um, a, you know, a, a material scientist, an orthopedic surgeon, uh, and then a high-end shoe designer um, and, and artisans. And basically, we have approached this from an engineering perspective and um, at, through CAD, et cetera, and then for, to make the insides, and then the uppers are created highest-end Italian luxury kind of Manolo Blahnik factory. And getting that process to run is a whole kind of, you know, book in itself. And that's kind of where, again, the industry is, is fouling up. It's taken us three years to make this shoe. And so... Um, 
But what happens from this is that you can then, we've then tested it, and we have actually succeeded in shifting your, the, the weight of the, um, the woman back to a 60-40 ratio from 80-20, and it is massively more comfortable, healthier, et cetera, and it still looks just like a regular shoe. No one thinks this is techie, and that is the point. It can be on the shelf next to a Manolo Blahnik. I would be wearing them right now, but I'm afraid I would poke through this stage. <laughs> um, so, so that's basically where we're going with this, is this piece of seamless, invisible technology that is highly technical from a structural perspective. Literally, the rocket scientists are like, this is one of the hardest things we've ever worked on, um, to, to kind of t- you know, think about the body and all of the things that shoes have to go through. So, so that's, that's one area of innovation that we're working on with, with, um, in terms of structure and materials. But then, the, really, my true passion is thinking about how we can use the fourth industrial revolution of looking at biology Um, to transform this whole space. And so the first way is just thinking about, okay, obviously biology lends itself to new materials, right? There's different ways we can think about this. She just showed orange fiber. Um, I am now the chief innovation officer at Fashion Tech Lab, and this is our first investment, which I think is really sort of symbolic for the whole industry um, as as a great practice. Um, this is another um, company, it's called Poly6, that is coming out of MIT Lab right now. They're sort of, uh, you know, several, several years behind um, uh, orange fiber. But what's interesting is they actually use the waste of what orange fiber um, creates. <laughs> so a different part of the orange waste. Um, and they're making a, a, a new polymer that can be used in additive manufacturing or can be extruded into a textile um, and also has a timed dissolvability, a, a sort of programmable dissolvability, which I'll talk a little bit more about. Um, this is another um, piece from this is from Duma Lab at um, at Harvard, and this is used uh, created using a 3D printed um, shrimp uh, from chitosan, which is the waste product of shrimp shells turned into a, a paste. And what's really interesting about this is that this it will behave um, normally in water. You can wash it, but when you put it in salt water, it will dissolve. So think about having you know say a collection of summer jewelry, and at the end of the summer you just chuck it in the ocean and it naturally dissolves as opposed to the piles of plastic, you know, uh, costume jewelry that I have. Um, and again, they're also working on packaging and that's in the same way that naturally dissolves. So you can decide when you want it to, want, want it to, to get rid of it. Um, I believe this will be brought up um, in, a, in a talk following, but this is um, the collaboration between Adidas and Parlay for the Ocean. And I wanted to bring it up just to say, this is not just about startups. Big brands um, can do this if they put their mind to it. Adidas has done an amazing job at really like um, researching this whole process, owning it, owning the supply chain. And they know that the value um, will be long-term for their company. It's an investment. It's an R&D investment. This is... Um, a fiber made from reclaimed bottles, uh, plastic bottles from the ocean and, tur- and turned into an actual filament. Um, and then, you know, other ways that we can start to think about um, where situations with sustainability, you know, how do you, how do you get away from washing? Well, this is a, uh, a non-toxic hydrophobic nanotech process coating that repels water off of regular cotton and natural fibers from Drapel so that, you know, you can throw a glass of red wine at a white shirt and it'll roll off, right? This will sort of change sustainability um, in, from a different angle on the kind of use perspective. So, not just about materials. Biology is also the next hardware revolution. And by hardware, I mean computational, printed circuit boards, the things that are inside your phones and your computers, right? And how, you know, how can we start to think about using the interactivity of biology, of biological organisms, and the way that we use circuits for interactivity? So one example of this is Peely, which is a living ink. So this is a bacterial ink that literally regenerates itself. So it is growing. It's a color. It can be used as a dye. Um, 
or you know, or, or as a as a as a screen print, etc. But it actually regenerates itself, right? So you're not not only is it natural, it's, it's not petrochemical, but it also you don't have to keep growing crops; it grows itself. Um, and this is another this is a piece from the MIT Media Lab, which uses the natto cell. Um, in a 3D printer, so it's a biological 3D printer. It's a special cell that actually um, changes shape when uh, when it's uh, exposed to moisture. So when it, the way that they've 3D printed, you can see that gift there. It basically will. Um, they've done a, a, a very specific pattern that allows these pores to open when you start to sweat. And this literally, this this spore exists in a in a living state in the garment. Um, so the other thing that we're thinking about is. Let's change our frame of reference. We live in a media world where we can sort of determine how things go, where they get stored. So, you know, why can't fast fashion work like Snapchat? Fast fashion isn't going anywhere. We love personal expression. We love newness. Why can't our clothes have the same life cycle that we want them to have? Why can't we program that into the materials? And so, let's think about some materials that are uh, compostable, um, biodegradable. This is um, bacterial cellulose. This is one of the sludgy things that grows on my desk. It's the waste product of kombucha. It can be turned into garments um, that you can dye and emboss and print, but they biodegrade, um, and the, and it's on purpose, right? Another thing, this is one of my favorite materials in the world, mycelium, nature's internet. I need a whole talk on this. But basically, this is the root structure of mushrooms that can be turned into things like you might have seen packaging stuff. But also, um, this new company, MikoWorks, has created an amazing leather, lab-grown leather, very quickly grown, much more cheaply than actually using cow cells in the lab, um, and grown to California organic food standards. So you can literally just throw it in your compost bin, and it will decompose. And I don't need to tell this audience about the dangers of um, you know the leather industry inside of fashion, one of the most toxic places. So you can dye it with natural dyes, etc. And this is really what we're thinking. This is the factory of the future. A mushroom farm slash lab, right? Um, another product that is made with uh, mycelium is uh, this this startup called Coiho, which is disrupting the practices of death and funeral, the funeral industry. So there's a mushroom embedded in this burial suit that is has been specially biologically designed to better to extract the toxins from the body and decompose your body to turn you back into into um, perfect soil. So instead of filling yourself up with chemicals, embalming chemicals, cemeteries are very toxic places. It's a shift in our thinking of I want to be returned to the earth. And so this is a whole product that is made as a death suit. This is one of their first products. They also make a pet burial suit, which I think is a little more palatable to most people. For now, this is an algae-based textile, which I think we talked about a little bit—an extruded piece, um, also a waste product from from algae oil. And then this is um, the silk pavilion. This is this is a shift in thinking about not just the material itself, but can we use the organisms to build stuff for us in ways that we want them to? So just a couple couple last things. I know I'm I'm out of time, but um, so. I am relatively obsessed with batteries and energy. I think that this is really the biggest problem that we face across all industries. Um, this is where I was the day that the Apple um, the watch came out. <laughs> I remember it specifically because I was in a basement; it wasn't getting reception, and all these journalists were calling. and And I said, "No, I'm actually where the real innovation is going on <laughs> in wearables." This is the lab of Dan Steingart, and he's an electrochemistry professor at Princeton, and he is working on a fiber battery that is biological based, which means those two strands right there. Hold in them a charge, an anode and a cathode, and they can be charged. And and I think what's so interesting is his lab, all these tests and super techy, um, you know, getting getting, you know, understanding the chemistry, etc. But then they don't, they didn't actually know what to do with it. So my contribution to the project was this 
bring them a children's loom, you know, teach them how to weave it, see if it will, you know, actually still hold up to this thing, and then take it a step further and say, hey, um, you know, there's a there's a 3D knitting factory, Shimaseki's down the road from you in New Jersey. Let's try to get this this collaboration going. So setting up these kind of collaborations is is massively difficult, and it's one of the things that is roadblocking the industry. Um, so it's not just it's just people just knowing each other. It's not that they don't want to be collaborating, etc. But these are, so so thinking about this this is your new battery. Um, each of those hexagons can be a cell that maybe it's one volt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so you know this is a new way to think about how you design your clothing is how, mu how much voltage do I want, you know? And so suddenly if you have a passive battery that's washable and you mix it with a solar threat, you know, you have a system that is, that is both active and passive. So the point being that if you start with materials like this, you end up with products like this, which they have a place in the market, but really you need to change the shift the materials that we're using to actually end up with, with real clothes. And this is moving towards this direction of you know, the holy grail of flexible biodegradable circuits that are, you know, literally like uh, um, these, these printed, that, and that is actually hanging on a human hair. They're tiny, they're amazing, they can go inside the body, et cetera. And, and this is really the next piece of it is, you know, moving towards you going onto the body and into the body. This is a project called DuoSkin from the MIT Media Lab, which is a temporary tattoo, which you can control your phone, you can control screens, et cetera. Imagine the kind of use case around festivals, you know, um, retail, anything, you know, you could use it as a display play on the body, um, et cetera. So, and I encourage you to, to look at the rest of this online as well. And the second piece of this project is actually doing this same thing into a tattoo ink. So you can, and, and there's actually ways that you can get, you do health monitoring through the tattoo itself. So that it's a, it acts as a biological sensor in the skin. And I'm just going to end on one of the things that I, um, you know, play around with in my lab. And this is where these wacky ideas come from. This is, um, I love this organism, slime mold, um, Fisarium, yellow slime mold. It, it actually has a wayfinding uh, structures embedded in it, even though it's a single cellular organism. So this is an experiment where you put sort of food for it um, on, a, on a map across the U.S. at different cities, and it actually found the, the network of roads really pretty closely. So it's just, it's an amazing kind of organism. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, making circuit traces. This is an organic conductive ink from Bear, and I asked them to make me a, you know, a batch with no um, preservatives to see if I could feed this to the physarium and have it, you know, I, I work on trying to, to get that, untangle that mess on the circuit board. Can you find all the connections that need to happen in that circuit board? So this is the sort of this transformation of how do we rematerialize, dematerialize what we're doing with technology. And then last, um, so this is the, the new company that I'm with. I've been with them for three weeks, Fashion Tech Lab, um, founded by Miroslava Duma, who many people know in the fashion industry. We are a hybrid model of venture agency and experimental lab. And um, we're just getting underway. And really, the, the basis of our, our kind of philosophy and priority is that technology can enable sustainability. They're not, they're, they don't need to be at odds with each other. They actually can be um, partners for the future products of this industry. Thanks very much. If anybody wants to try on the shoes, I have them for later. <laughs>